Batman and Plastic Man. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Max Romero. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, a Christmas team up, Batman and Plastic Man from The Brave and the Bold, number 148, cover dated March 1979, but published on December 28th of 1978, just shy of Christmas. And Max, <laughs> this, this is going out on Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas to you and your family. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, Siskoid, and to everyone in your circle. <laughs> My circle <laughs> thanks you. <laughs> Now, in each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. So in this case, Max, who's your guy? You know, Cisco, this is going to come as a shock to you, but I'm taking Plastic Man. Oh. It, it, just, it just feels right to me. I don't know. <laughs> I will take Batman, as is my want. <laughs> Uh, but our custom here, Max, is that we preface with a reason or reasons why we like the character we've chosen or been forced to choose. So, <laughs> Max, why Plastic Man? Let me get it out right in front. Is I was not forced to choose Plastic Man at all. I actually feel like I'm making you, I'm forcing you to choose Batman. That, that, that <laughs> so. is who I was referring to. <laughs> One of Plastic Man's defining characteristics is humor. And that's something that everyone knows. And it's certainly something that I love about the character. But I'm fascinated by Bob Haney's down-in-the-gutter Plastic Man in these stories. It's a Plaz who's really struggling with both his role as a hero and as someone with abilities, he feels single him out as a freak more than as a hero. And and this really goes hand-in-hand hand with something I truly believe about Plastic Man. Even more than most comic book characters, Plaz is an aspirational character. He's gone from a rough childhood as an orphan to a life of crime as an adult to suddenly superpowered thanks to a freak accident. He's got every reason to become a supervillain. It's it's really kind of it's a classic setup for a supervillain, but somehow he takes a hard turn and becomes a generally jolly hero who enjoys doing the right thing. He enjoys doing the right thing. Even in this story, as we'll see, Plaz goes through this kind of hardship that you hardly ever see a superhero go through. And he literally becomes a bum. And he still chooses to be a good guy when it would be much easier to turn, to turn back to crime. I mean, I'd be tempted. And maybe that's why Plastic Man and Batman have been depicted as having such a weird and enduring friendship in comics. They have a lot in common when you think about it. Speaking of Batman, <laughs> what's something that you liked about the Cape Crusader? <laughs> well, I agree that Plastic Man has a dark side to him. I mean, the same origin as the Joker sort of thing yeah you know in a way yeah so I'll, I'll go i'll flip it i won't i won't go into batman's darkness because everyone knows about that uh, i will say on this particular episode that uh, i like the broad daylight batman the, the one that bob haney is also writing in this for him to meet plastic man today's an avenger of the night and almost seems like it's never day in gotham or at least it's never sunny but i think there's something charmingly goofy about batman driving around in the daytime Parking on the side of the street, walking down the sidewalk, <laughs> signing autographs. Uh, he's just a staple of the city as beloved as of Gothamites as Superman <laughs> is in Metropolis. That's, right. You know, yeah. the Bronze Age uh, Batman. I mean, obviously, earlier Batman, 50s and all that. He's like that. But to see him still in the 70s and 80s being this kind of established superhero and, uh, you know, a figure in town that is respected – I, I kind of love that. And no one seems shocked when they see him walking down the street or talking to the mayor, no. <laughs> things like that. He's just kind of hanging out. It's just so normal. 
<laughs> that is a DC universe that's had years and years of building these superheroes up. So why would he still be an urban legend, you know? Uh, and right. today that's how they play him uh, quite a lot. Although you see some shades of it sometimes, you know, like Morrison's Batman hanging out with prostitutes. <laughs> just, just checking on them, you know, just checking on them because that's his world, the the underworld. But right. maybe the normal citizen, the the you know, the law-abiding citizen uptown that doesn't see the Batman so much. <laughs> but I, I do love that Batman can sustain. You can do that to Batman, and he still works. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. the, the hero that doesn't matter what tone you you put him in. He seems to still work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Batman needs no introduction. Plastic Man is a well-known character, but uh, not as much as we think, I guess, as comic book fans. <laughs> so let's talk about the Plastic Man's publication history. Uh, Max, if you will do the honors, I, I believe you are the expert. You are the man who has a podcast devoted to this guy. <laughs> I, I do have a podcast. Um, I'm happy to talk about Plastic Man's publication history, but you'd better strap in because this gets weird. Plastic Man was created Ho- hold by on, incredibly... Hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm not strapped yet. <laughs> All right, I'm strapped in. I, I'm ready. We have, we have same, same 26 years of weirdness to go over. I embraced. <laughs> Plastic Man was created by uh, Jack Cole, an incredibly underrated artist in my opinion, and uh, was first published in Police Comics Number 1, which hit the stands on May 14, 1941. Plastic Man was an immediate hit, and it was featured in Police Comics for 102 issues, and Police Comics would end with with issue 127. So pretty much the almost the entire run of Police Comics belonged to Plastic Man. At the same time, Quality Comics also launched a standalone Plastic Man title, and that comic lasted for 64 issues. So you have these two very successful comics running concurrently. The final issue for Plastic Man came with the end of Quality Comics itself, which folded in 1956. Quality's properties were bought up that same year by National Periodicals, which we all know is the company that would eventually become DC Comics. For some reason, it would be 10 years before readers saw Plastic Man again. And when he did show up, it wasn't even him. As you know from Dial H for Hero, a pseudoplasm would make him an appearance in 1966 in House of Mystery 160. And that would actually be Robbie Reed, not Plastic Man for some reason. Because Robbie somehow dialed up that famous crime-fighting hero of years ago. I'm not going to get into the weeds with this, I promise. <laughs> but this is the first hint of Plastic Man being on Earth-1. His Golden Age appearances were generally thought to be a bit on Earth-2, with the idea that he eventually went to Earth-X with the rest of the Freedom Fighters. Don't think too hard about it. <laughs> it's, it's Like I said, it gets crazy. Uh, later that same year, DC launched a new Plastic Man series with a notably different version of Plaz. This Plastic Man was younger, hipper, definitely more of a product of the mid-60s. Woozy Winks was gone. He was replaced by the uptight Gordon K. Trueblood, while the rest of the cast was rounded out by Plaz's girlfriend, Micheline Mike DeLute, her mother, the Plaz-hating Mrs. DeLute, goofy villain Dr. Dome, and Dr. Dome's daughter, Lynx. But actually, readers would find out in issue 7 of that run that this Plaz was actually Plastic Man Jr., son of the original pliable paladin this series would reach 10 issues and then it just stopped it wasn't canceled it just stopped so put a pin in that three years later in 1971 plastic man would pop up in the brave and the bold 95 the first and what i like to think of as the ruby rider storyline which gets mentioned in the story we'll be talking about today this would also be the first time we see the down and out plastic man an interesting note is that Plaz has the Hepcat look he had in his last series but it's pretty obvious that this is supposed to be the original plastic man not junior Plaz would make more appearances in the Brave and Bold before his solo series picked up where it left off with issue 11, seven years later. This series would last for 10 more issues before being canceled. It's the run that became famous for featuring the legendary Ramona Freighton. From then on, Plastic Man would more or less become an occasional staple of the DC Universe. He'd have his own stories in Adventure Comics, a couple of appearances in Super Friends, and he'd also be seen in Justice League of America, All-Star Squadron, which is where I first discovered Plastic Man in comics, DC Comics Presents, and various other titles. In 1988, he'd get a four-issue miniseries by Phil Foglio, Hilary Barta, Kevin Nolan, and John Nyberg. 
1998, Grant Morrison would reintroduce Plas as a secret member of the JLA in JLA number 15. Plastic Man would get another solo series in 2004, this one written and drawn by the awesome Kyle Baker, and that would last for 20 issues and win five Eisners and one Harvey. Totally deserved. It's a great <laughs> it's a great run. Since then, Plastic Man has been featured in a number of one-shot storylines, limited series, most recently uh, DC published Convergence, Plastic Man and the Freedom Fighters in 2015 as a two-issue mini, and most, most recently <laughs> wrapped up the six-issue self-titled Plastic Man miniseries written by Gail Simone and drawn by Adriana Mello. Finally, Plastic Man is also currently a founding member of the new team book, The Terrifics, a regular series written by Jeff Lemire, drawn by a rotating stable of artists, most notably probably Evan Doc Shanner, which is, you know, just a perfect look for that book. And Lemire's Plastic Man is probably my favorite depiction of the character in a very long time, probably since uh, probably since Kyle Baker's run. Of course, Plastic has been featured in cartoons, including his own Plastic Man comedy adventure show that ran in the late 70s through the early 80s. And more recently, uh, he's been in Justice League action and he's been in video games. Starting just a week ago, there's been talk that Warner Brothers Studio is seriously thinking of doing a Plastic Man movie because of what world we live in. And I think I've gone on long enough. <laughs> you know, when I got to comics, I really felt that Plastic Man should have been more important to the comics world. And I, I guess my impression came from first discovering him in that animated show. If he's got an animated show, he should be one of the principal movers of the DC universe. And yet that wasn't the case. You would think so. It's funny because I guess Plastic Man just the, the entire concept lends itself to animation very well. And uh, and a lot of people that I talk to, because, of course, I, I corner people and talk to them about Plastic Man, well, <laughs> a lot of the people that I talk to, almost all of their experience with, with the character is through the cartoons, which makes sense, because he keeps popping up. He popped up in the Brave and Bold cartoon, he in, in uh, Justice League Action, he had his own show, so people of my generation know him from that, which is also where I first discovered Plastic Man. When I realized that Plastic Man was not as big a character in the entire DC universe as, as I thought he was, it was kind of a surprise to me. I guess, you know, probably it's all because of Elongated Man and that he was better integrated into the DC Universe earlier than Plastic Man. And that's the DC stretchable hero, except right. he's nowhere near as iconic looking as Plastic Man. Just the look. Right. I mean, not even talking about any of the origin or anything, but as an icon, I think Plastic Man works better than, than the awkward to say Elongated Man. <laughs> I agree. Nothing against Ralph Dibney. I, I like I like Ralph and Sue as characters, but uh, it seems like if you've got one stretchable hero that's supposed to be the icon, it should be Plastic Man. Yeah, and I was kind of uh, happy when Grant Morrison brought him back into the JLA, even though I know a lot of people were upset that uh, that Ralph was kind of bumped out for it. I get it, but. Uh, yeah, Morrison's one of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into this Brave and the Bold issue because, you know, Plastic Man had a good, uh, good few stories in there with Batman. I think this was the last uh, in, in the run, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. This was part of that, what in my mind <laughs> I, I think of as the Ruby Rider storyline because right. Ruby Rider was kind of a, a pivot point for all three of these issues, even in this one, in this story in particular, she's only mentioned. But it goes back to everything that happened before, and it kind of explains why Plaz is where he is in his life. Right. And she's also just basically been giving Batman hell <laughs> for, for, you know, off and on uh, in Brave and the Bold. So this is Ruby Rider, the epilogue sort of thing. <laughs> let's get into this issue. Let's let's uh, recount it for for the folks at home. The Night the Mob Stole Christmas, or Xmas, by writer uh, Zany Bob Haney and artists Joe Staten and Jim Aparo. 
Christmas week in Gotham City, and Commissioner Gordon is frustrated that he hasn't been able to put a stop to the butt-legger war between black market cigarette traffickers and rival mobsters. And Batman doesn't have a lead either. The city is losing millions in tax money and truck drivers are turning up dead. As it starts snowing, the promise of a white Christmas, Batman goes shopping for information about the smugglers. But not one informant will squeal even under pressure. That night, Batman's only solace is the Lacey's Christmas display at Gotham Plaza, one of the city's architectural splendors. Turning the corner... A young boy drops his ball into the busy street, where he chases it right into the path of a speeding taxicab. Suddenly, the arm of the Salvation Army's Santa on the corner stretches out, snatching the boy out of harm's way. Jumping from the Batmobile, Batman shouts out, You! Santa! I know who you are! With a quick tug, Santa's beard is pulled away to reveal the rueful grin of Plastic Man. Batman mentions he hasn't seen Plaza since their last run-in with Ruby Ryder, everyone's unfavorite female tycoon, as he weirdly likes to call her. Plastic Man tells Batman that things have only gotten worse since the incident, to the point that he's even quit working in carnivals because he was sick of being a freak. Now he can only find work doing odd jobs like ringing a bell for charity. Batman tries to give Plaza some advice, telling him that the first thing he needs to do is figure out who he wants to be. He praises Plastic Man for his quick reflexes and for saving the kid before making a small donation. Plaz wishes him happy holidays, and then Batman is off. Batman worries about his friend Plaz, but has to keep looking for a lead. Not a thing. Just after dawn, he passes by Lacey's again, and the Christmas display is gone. Commissioner Gordon is on hand to tell him it was stolen and driven off in trucks, as the frozen tracks in the snow attest to. Bats races after the convoy, but the tracks are disappearing fast under the falling snow. He notes that Plastic Man is no longer on his corner, and that a message has been scrawled into the snow. 90S Acme Movers. Batman takes the whirly bat out of his trunk and heads south for Route 90, where he indeed catches up to the convoy, confirming their crime by eavesdropping on their CB radio. Leaving the whirly bat by the side of an overpass, he jumps onto the last truck and slips inside to find... Plastic Man. Still in full Santa regalia, Plaz sits on top of a packed sleigh, kept company by some deer. He explains to Batman that he was taken out, but good. While closing up for the night, Plastic Man spotted some thugs stealing an Xmas display. But before he could do more than shout out, he was conked from behind and nearly knocked unconscious. The thugs dragged him into a moving truck with the rest of this way, saying they need a Santa for their shindig and to keep him quiet. Before blacking out, Plaz managed to stretch an arm through the crack in the truck doors and scrawl out the cool clue in the snow that was discovered by Batman. Now, Plaz explains, he's been lying low because the gang doesn't know who he is, and he wants to keep the element of surprise. He knew he could count on Batman catching up. Batman agrees this was good thinking, but still can't figure out why anyone would want to steal Gotham's Christmas. Suddenly, Batman notices something strange. The deer aren't eating hay. It's tobacco. As the butt-legger's truck slow down to a stop at a service station, Batman stashes himself away. And when one of the crooks opens the doors to feed the deer, the tobacco-starved buck rips the tarp right off the bat. And he is forced to leap out, throwing the man against the pumps, then explosively karate-chopping him in the throat. Chop! Another tries to club him from behind, but the bat deflects the weapon with a kick. Krang! But he doesn't notice that he's maneuvered himself onto a lift, and one of the traffickers sets it in motion, taking Batman way up. They shoot at him. He tries to jump for a crane. They fire straight at him. He falls into a vat of oil, and as he starts to drown in it... A long, enlarged hand stretches down and pulls Batman from the oil. Soon, Plastic Man is hosing Batman off at a car wash and even runs him through the buffer. Batman explains that the slug missed him, but hit the chain, stunning him. 
When he asks Plastic Man why he didn't save him sooner, Plaz tells him that he's still lying low, convinced it will help them later. He also tells Batman he knows where the buttleggers are going. Thanks to literally cupping his ear to the cab of the truck, Plaz heard the lead driver saying on the CV, Candy cane to Santa's helpers, keep highballing along. We got mucho miles to cover, with the final destination being Conch Key, Florida. The most ecstatic Batman I've ever seen shouts out, Plastic Man, you did it again. Let's start highballing ourselves for the Sunshine State. So, 24 hours later... Inside the house, the buttlegger's leader, Big Jake Doyle, tells his right-hand man that he's sick of playing sick. Something is definitely up. But before Batman and Plastic Man can investigate, they're caught by guards. While Plaz keeps playing Santa Claus, Batman is strung up on the tree as a Christmas ornament as Doyle's big party gets into gear. Big Jake insists Santa pull the ribbon on a giant gift for his new butt-legging partners, and Plaz complies. It's a setup. Gunmen spring from the box, mowing down the gathered crooks. Plastic Man breaks his cover, growing and expanding into a giant pillowy Santa, soaking up the flying bullets and disarming the would-be hitmen. But Big Jake has one more surprise, jumping from his wheelchair and blasting away with a pistol. A firefight breaks out between Doyle's gang and his rivals, during which Batman easily gets free and goes after Big Jake. He jumps on his back with a thud, and then it starts to snow in Florida? A helicopter is dropping artificial snow on the scene, part of Doyle's Xmas celebration. Plaz reshapes his head into a big cup to catch the fake fluff and stretches his mouth into a funnel to blow it directly at the warring gunman. Overwhelmed and unable to breathe, the gang members give up while a triumphant plastic man stands over them. Batman is happy the duo has broken the butt-legging ring, but declares that Gotham's holiday is ruined. Maybe not, Plaz says. After all, they've got plenty of Santa's helpers on hand. The crooks are pressed into service, and soon the trucks are reloaded and headed back to Gotham, where the next day everyone enjoys the spectacular display. Maybe most impressive of all is Santa's arm, which seems to stretch to spell out Merry Xmas. The mayor congratulates Batman on stopping the butt-leggers and saving the city's holiday. Batman thanks him, but says, You might say it's really just a gift from Santa Claus. And that's our issue. So, what do we think of this story, uh, Max? Classic Bob Haney. <laughs> um, I, I actually enjoy the story quite a bit. As I mentioned, I, I kind of like this characterization of Plastic Man. We get some great shape changes from him, some weird ones. And I kind of enjoy this Batman. He's very cheeky. He gives Commissioner Gordon guff at one point, but he's still the competent Dark Knight detective that we know today. There's always a sort of swinging 60s kind of feel to the yeah. <laughs> to the dialogue when uh, when Bob Haney is writing. You know, this is a swinging party. and It, it feels very Batman 66 to me in, in some ways mm-hmm. with the whirly bat. And uh, at one point, Batman gives his kind of, he kind of specifies to the police for no real reason. Um, and it just, it, yeah, it has those kind of, the remnant of that Batman, which is makes for an interesting mix. It's not quite the extreme that he goes to when he makes the Teen Titans speak, but <laughs> it, you're definitely, it, well, I mean, this is going to be a Christmas story where Batman is really worried about a Christmas display and how it's going to ruin Christmas for all of Gotham. He really seems to be more worried about than he is about the the bootleggers or yeah, the buttleggers. The buttleggers, right. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, have you ever heard that expression uh, in the States, buttlegger? Uh, you know, I'm a child of the 70s and, and the 80s. I grew up with the the trucker as as a folk hero sort of thing. I have never, ever heard that phrase. <laughs> yeah. well, never. I mean, it's less a trucking term than it is 
about you know, cigarette trafficking, but uh, even though like my area has a rich history with bootlegging, when when mm-hmm. it, when prohibition was on, uh, the mobsters would come here to, to you know to trade the the booze. Al Capone had a um, house or I, I don't know you know had a cabin. Uh, somewhere on the coast here. There's a rich history of that here. I've still not, never heard of the term butt-legging for cigarettes. <laughs> Even though I remember the 90s, they, they upped the taxes on cigarettes and there was mm-hmm. a big cigarette trafficking problem, <laughs> whatever that means, you know. <laughs> Smokers would go uh, to dorms and uh, and buy cigarettes for 10 cents a pop and that, that kind of stuff. I, it, that there would be this huge problem where Gotham is losing millions in taxes because in the DC universe, I always feel that Gotham and Metropolis are states unto their own because they're collecting <laughs> kind of, yeah. cigarette taxes. That should, at, you know, that should be very least should be at the state level as a tax, wouldn't it? If not federal, I would think so. Yeah, <laughs> like liquor. Yeah, yeah. You know, personally, I think Bob Haney just wanted to see how many times he could get away with saying butt licking. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I think he came up with it and just wanted to see how many times can I put this in. Is it four uh, or so? Oh, it's or maybe it more. It seems yeah. like a lot. I yeah, know. no, there's a lot. Open Oxford Dictionary. Butt legging. Noun. U.S. Informal. The illicit trade in cigarettes. Cigarette smuggling. Origin 1960s. Earliest use found in the New York Times. Alteration of bootlegging after butt. While we're talking about the dialogue, there's that one term, and then there's the the term or the word Xmas mm-hmm. as opposed to Christmas. And for for a while, I was looking through the issue to see if it was always Xmas, as if he was, I don't know, making it more, um, you know, taking the religion out of it. Oxford Dictionary suggests secular. But but no, sometimes it's Christmas, all spelled out. But most often it's Xmas. And, and it kind of makes me wonder if that was maybe a mistake in editing. If maybe it was supposed to be Xmas and they're supposed to take it out of Christmas, or if just sometime in the production, different pages came in at different times, and so it was caught sometimes not and not other times. It's weird, because I don't see why someone would switch to Xmas over Christmas <laughs> if they're used the same one or the other. And I don't, I've never known anyone who actually says Xmas. No, no, I, I'm sure it's, it's Christmas, it's just the shortened form. Uh, mm-hmm. So everybody says Christmas. So it's just weird when you read it Xmas for no reason. Although in the title, on the cover, it makes sense to use Xmas because they put it in a wreath. There's less space there. Xmas fits well on on the cover. It doesn't follow any kind of rule in the issue. It's <laughs> no, no. Like a lot of Bob Haney things, it, it follows no rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. What did you think of that cover while we're on it? I really enjoyed it, actually. It's it's a pretty dynamic cover. Of course, like a lot of comics of the time, then that doesn't actually happen in the story itself quite this way. I think it looks really well. And as you were mentioning, if, you know, we're used to be uh, to Batman being in the shadows and in silhouette a lot of times. But this is looks like it's supposed to be broad daylight. It's a bright blue background. And it's colorful. You know, we have Plastic Man in his in his uh, standard red suit. We have Batman in the blue and gray. There's a, a wreath that you mentioned. There's, uh, I assume, <laughs> I assume this is a, a fake Santa in a sleigh, not a real Santa, just kind of. It's the display Santa, yeah. Yeah, who looks like he's looking at the scene, which is kind of a nice little touch. And all this is a, a fight with gang members on flatbed of a truck. You know, there's a lot going on. Batman's punching someone out. Plastic Man is punching out while also dangling someone above his head. Batman has someone in a in a great chokehold. The 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 face on this guy is fantastic. Looks like uh, Bruno Mannheim from uh, Intergame. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. And and it's snowing over this whole scene. I, I just really works for me. 
What, what did you think of it? Uh, well, yeah, no, it's very busy. I think it's a little too busy where I, I don't think Plastic Man shows up as registers as much mm. as I think he should. He should be like more front and center. And maybe that's got to do with the flat bed, which is sort of cutting the cover off in terms right. of composition. And it just looks like there's dead space there where the wheels and all that are. It's like the cover seems to be like a digest cover because that's, mm. that's really dead space to me. But yeah, I like the intent of it. And certainly, The art in this, I was gonna, I was gonna say, Jim Aparo does a really good job with Batman as usual, and you know the punches and right. always look very violent and explosive. And, <laughs> uh, but this is actually a team up, an artist team up, because everything that's Plastic Man is drawn by Joe Staten. Right, and it works really well. You know, normally if you had told me how do I think Aparo and Staten are gonna work together on on a single project, I would say, oh, that's probably gonna be very awkward. It's gonna be very obvious. But the styles are blended together very well that it's almost seamless. In, in my mind. When I saw the art team and they're just listed as artists, I thought, oh, okay, which one is inking which one? And I thought, well, mm -hmm. Aparo is obviously inking because, you know, the, the Batman stuff looks so Aparo. But no, no, no. They, they <laughs> right. each drew their little bits. Not, not each their page. They drew their own characters within the same panels. Right. And it, it totally works somehow. Plastic Man does not look out of place in... Aparo's Gotham. Joe Staten is is considered, you know, one of the Plastic Man artists, and for good reason. But this really kind of shows off how he is not just that kind of artist, you know, that he can work with other artists, especially someone of the caliber of, of Aparo. Yeah, I can never quite tell. I, th I guess he's doing the, the Florida stuff. And it's Aparo's doing Gotham, but Florida is supposed to be Staten, maybe, or at least the gangsters are. Like you say, it's really hard to tell. It's like it's one artist... And at least Plas himself is so gooey that, yeah. <laughs> that you know, if even if he has like a different bone structure than what Aparo usually does, well, that's normal because, he, yeah. you know, it doesn't really have bones. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. It doesn't have to be those, you know, that jawline because, you know, it's, it's Plastic Man. And you're right. There are some very nice transformations in here or Nightmare Fuel. <laughs> I think the one where he's a scuba diving. Uh, and his nose is supposed yeah. to be that one. And, of course, the one where he redistributes the fake snow is just that monstrous. Is, oh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty horrifying. He must have been picking out fake snow out of his sinuses for, for months. <laughs> It is just so weird looking. And the, the squat doesn't help. <laughs> I, I don't know what is more disturbing to me when he actually turns his mouth into a funnel or just the giant head cup. Because where is that stuff going? How How is that flowing through? And I've learned, you know, reading Plastic Man, I've learned not to ask too many questions about the mechanics of everything. But every once in a while, I'm just like, going, wait, how does that how, how does that work? Well, I mean, he's just fluid. He's just a fluid. <laughs> you know, his consciousness is inside that goo. <laughs> and, somewhere. Yeah, there's, somewhere there. there's no organ or the organs are also fluid. And still doing their jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Somehow. I don't think we should be looking at that too closely. One of the things I do look at closely, and people know me for this, but is uh, uh, ever, at least ever since the uh, episode of Hero Points, where we talked about the Atlas of the DC Universe, I'm, I'm always keenly interested in where the fictional cities of the DC Universe are. Mm -hmm. And uh, there seemed to be a clue here because we do have a sort of geography, right? There's stuff going on in Florida and there's Gotham City somewhere. It's snowing in Gotham. 
Right. So we know it must be somewhere where it may snow. And I, I think Bob Haney and uh, Jim Aparo and, uh, well, Jim Aparo in, in general, because even in Batman and the Outsiders, my beloved Batman and the Outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was a fan, too. I'll, I'll go ahead and come out right now. I was a fan, too. Well, I'm not a fan. So, I mean, that it's, oh, it's oh. supposed to be um, ah, supposed to be me. sarcastic. Ah, you tricked me, Siskoid. Well, I, I'm just trying to poke <laughs> Rob Kelly, really, who's supposed to be my, my opposite number in this on the network. But the, uh, the idea that Gotham is very often snowy is very re- well represented in Jim Aparo's art. Whether it's in Outsiders or in Batman or Brave and the Bold, uh, Jim Aparo likes to draw a snowy Gotham. So we know it must be somewhat, you know, more northerly than southerly. Except some of the action here takes place on uh, Route 90. Now, like, this can't possibly be the same Route 90 <laughs> that exists in the real world. Because Route 90 is from Jacksonville, uh, Florida, to Van Horn, Texas. So we're by where you are <laughs> right now, right? Right, right. Uh, so, uh, so I guess the DCU has different roads because there's no because and they're heading south on it, which is it, it's an east to west road. So uh, again, that doesn't make sense. So um, I, I'm going to say Bob Haney again. Bob Haney. He doesn't care about the personality. He doesn't care about Black Canary being uh, Bruce Wayne's secretary. If it's needed, it goes in. So Route 90 right. is going south to Florida. I'm sure it just sounded good to him. <laughs> He said, Route 90, that sounds great. That's apparently, that. that's how he worked. It was like, oh, yeah. knock him out. <laughs> well, you know what? I will give Haney some credit on something, though. Concha Key, Florida is a real place. I looked it up. It's an unincorporated community in the middle of the Florida Keys between mile markers 62 and 63. And uh, I can only assume this is where Shaq lives. At a mobster's house. <laughs> At a mobster's house in the Florida Keys somewhere up to who knows what. You know, he's a panhandler for real, but <laughs> let's set this record straight. Uh, you know, Shag is neither a mobster nor someone who lives in the, the USA's big dong. He, he's, uh, <laughs> he's in the panhandle somewhere. Right. Uh, uh, this, is, this is, I mean, this is also an issue where reindeer eat tobacco. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a new one on me. You know, Bob Haney is always introducing me to a whole new world. And sometimes it's just expedient. You know, Batman who drowning in a <laughs> in a foot of oil, and then uh, the Plastic Man g- getting him through that truck wash. Right. It's like, I mean, he should he should have no costume left at the end of those brush <laughs> treatments. I know, and it's like a full size. I mean, that's those brushes are huge. And also, that oil pit, you know, it doesn't look like there's a lot of oil in it, but that thing has to be like 30 feet deep. It is enormous. The, the pit itself, what, what yeah. What kind of place is this? Yeah. Yeah, you could just drop a truck in there, or a, cu- a couple of trucks. <laughs> that is very much a paro, though. I, I, I feel like uh, a lot of his work has, if he's wonky, it's with perspective. And you'll have, like, you know, people across the street looking super tiny as if the street were a mile, uh, <laughs> a mile wide and that kind of stuff. Sometimes happens. I think I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt and say it's a stylistic choice to, to make it more extreme, to make it seem like, yeah. you know, like a forced perspective to show the, the fall and, you know. And the sense of danger. I mean, it definitely does that. You feel like, you know, Batman is he's, he's in dire straits. Eventually, he lets himself be captured in this. So uh, when, when he's strung up to the tree. He's just biding his time oh, yeah. as his as his plaz. So it's it's not like let's find out what's happening here. What and you know what? If these crooks hadn't wanted to throw a party, I guess the party is supposed to be you know a ploy, and uh, he's going to use the party to kill off his rivals, uh, Big Jake. But <laughs> if it, <laughs> if he hadn't stolen 
Gotham's display for his fancy party, they would have gotten away with it. The butt-legging enterprise would have gone on. It's the classic criminal no-no. He he got greedy. <laughs> it just it was it was too much. You know, and that was that's an, a very elaborate hit. You know, he he not only has a bootlegging operation going on, he is also stealing a city's display to move it halfway across the country so he can hide gunmen inside a giant gift box. That takes a lot of planning. That's that's some thought, you know? And yet one wonders why he couldn't just spent a bit of money to build his own <laughs> box and display. Buy locally. <laughs> Buy local, dude. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like Big Jake doesn't want to pay for anything. I think he'd rather steal it than, than pay for it. Right. I wonder who that wheelchair used to belong to <laughs> that, that he's using. And, and he faked his own illness for weeks or months. Yeah. Just there's to, a lot going on in this book. <laughs> uh, before we move on to the our usual debate, any uh, more thoughts on uh, this story? We hit pretty much everything except for two things. I kind of love that Plastic Man never changes out of, his, out of his Santa outfit until like the very end. And also... How cheap is Batman? Did you notice that when he gives a donation to Plastic Man in the beginning, he basically throws change at him? Like, come, you know, come on, Bruce. You're you're a multimillionaire. You can spare some of the folding stuff. He gave it the office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Plas is relentlessly, you know, holiday themed. This is a holiday yeah. issue, and he's going with it. By the end, he's still he's still being the Santa Claus at the end. You know, at the when they bring it all back to Gotham, and if they force the hoods to bring it all back to Gotham and set it all up again, he's still playing the part of the Santa. So right. he's into it. He's into Christmas. And you'd think Batman <laughs> wouldn't be, and maybe he isn't. That's why he's just a cheapskate. It's like, oh, Christmas. Here you go. One of the things I love about these Brave and the Bold comics with Plastic Man and, and Batman is how it really kind of hits on this weird relationship that the two have. And it's been carried on through other titles and to other comics and even into the, the cartoons where, in a weird way, Batman and Plastic Man seem to relate. And it's almost like Batman can relax around Plastic Man. And I've always, I've always found that really interesting, even more than Superman. In some way, Batman seems to connect to Plas. And I've, I've, I've always loved that relationship. Maybe they should, uh, they should do like a Batman Plastic Man series, just like, you know, the Adam and the Hawkman, or you know, put the friends together. I would love to see that. That would be great. They both have these underworld connections. I mean, there's something that can be done there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Plas has the connection to the, the FBI or the NBI, whoever, however you want to look at that. But, you know, yeah. There's, there's definitely something that could be done there. I just looked at that panel again where he uh, gives them some change, and it's, you say some change, it's a, a handful. No, no, no. There's one clink. <laughs> there is one recorded clink. This is a quarter at most. Oh, Bruce, come on. A silver dollar. I mean, I could just imagine Batman with, how much change does he have in his belt uh, in any way? Maybe he's got it. Maybe he has to tip for coffee later or something. I don't know. But it's just. Help a guy out or a charity. <laughs> So who fared better? First, how well does this fit each of the characters' stories or atmospheres? So is this more of a Batman story or is it more of a Plastic Man story? Or perhaps is it more just a Christmas story because sometimes that tone takes over uh, when, when we're dealing with this, this time of the year? Ooh, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I would definitely say it's a Christmas story. It definitely has elements of... I, if I had to 
if you had to put my feet to the fire, I'd say this is more of a Batman story, just because it has all the elements of crime in Gotham and that sort of thing. But there's no denying that you bring Plastic Man into something and it kind of changes the tone automatically. But this is definitely a, a Christmas. You know, this is not like one of the movie debates of, you know, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? This is definitely about Christmas, <laughs> you know? It's because the theft of the crime display is a major part of this. Plastic Man is in a Senate outfit the entire time. This is definitely a Christmas story. Yeah. You know, it, it does what, uh, and this is something you start to notice when you do a show that's just about team-ups, but uh, it, it does have that in between for the heroes themselves. It's, a, it's like a Batman setup. But then Plastic Man gets the better action. He saves a little boy. Uh, he's the one who has all the information that Batman needs. He, he leads Batman to the, the trucks. He's the one who saves the day when, you know, he creates the big diversion with the, um, with the snow. And Batman is kind of a chump. Much of the time, you know, he, get, he gets shot at, he drowns in the pool, he he's strung up to a tree, and it's like when when he leaps into action, it's very brief because Batman's in it every month. So let's see the guest star do stuff, you know. And yet, it is still a sort of Batman setup, Batman kind of criminals, and yeah. Right, I think you're absolutely right. In a weird way, Plastic Man kind of takes the lead in this story. In, in addition to everything that you mentioned, he's also the one who says, well, I'm, I'm hanging back to see what happens. And Batman ends up taking that same strategy. And, you know, it's really kind of Plastic Man making decisions on how they're going to pursue this case. Uh, what about cool moves? What is Plastic Man's coolest move in this? Oh, boy. It's, you know, for me, it's a tie. Uh, I like when he blows up like a parade float and disarms three guys with one hand at the same time. Uh, that's just kind of classic Plastic Man. But I also like that weirdo snowblower move. <laughs> it's it's so it's so weird and so inventive that that is the sort of thing I look for in a Plastic Man story. I want at least one change like that. It feels very Golden Age. This that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. This you know for me that delivers. As for Batman, uh, he's he's a chump in this, but um, <laughs> uh, but any Aparo drawn hit is basically a cool move because just the way mm. the action is drawn. When he hits someone, it looks like it hurts so much. And, <laughs> and that is Jim Aparo. That has always been a strength. When Batman hits somebody, I don't know if that guy still has a head. <laughs> <laughs> that that is absolutely true I, my, my teeth rattle just reading these stories what about dumb or weird moves because uh, they're always part of the trying to mash up two characters together sometimes you know sometimes you can see the seams what about plastic man any dumb or strange moves from him one thing that i've had to wrap my mind around before in other stories but it, i understand it's expediency but i was kind of thrown off by plastic man getting knocked out by a sap you know, someone just kind of knocked him on the head and knocked him out. And that always seems strange to me for a character who can absorb, you know, absorb bullets and basically anything, <laughs> any, any kind of weapon you use at him, any kind of projectile weapon, especially has no uh, effect on him. But to, for him to get for someone to get the drop on him and basically knock him on the head throws me off. I understand that he's probably not, you know, malleable all the time. It's a weird note to me. Well, it seems to me that if he's actually gooey and rubber and fluid, then I don't know that he has a, a brain, you know, to get knocked out, you know, the, the way, right. I mean, there's a physiological reason why we get knocked out by a blow to the, the head. And right. I don't know how his physiology works unless it can be switched on and off. Sometimes he's a solid, normal human, and then sometimes mm -hmm. he's rubber. That's what I've told myself. 
that you know just kind of in <laughs> this just is so my you own can reasoning sleep. so i can sleep at night that uh you know i i tell myself that you know when he's resting he's fairly solid <laughs> but yeah I, that, that's that's me talking to myself well for batman uh, i'm going to go with the uh drowning in a foot and a half of oil because it doesn't look like it's any deeper than that the, the pit is super deep but there's just oil at the bottom and he didn't really get shot but it just grazed him anyway maybe he's uh, yeah. passing out from the other wounds or just the fall <laughs> I mean, you can drown in a bathtub, so they say, which is a line from a song. But apparently, he, he the the bullet hit the chain, and the shock of that knocked him out, or made him fall. And then it's a how it's a high <laughs> fall, yeah. Uh, but then it would have been a broken by the falling in a you know foot. Anyway, I, I don't want to look at the physics of this because they don't make sense. <laughs> and then it leads into that's like a dumb move. But then it leads into a weird sequence where he gets you know the <laughs> Plaz runs him through the. <laughs> truck wash the the big brushes anyway uh, it's right. a very weird sequence it's a very bro road movie move yeah let's talk about the friendly farewell because that's a team up tradition the last panel essentially is uh the big christmas parade moment i don't know if it's a, a goodbye between the two heroes because they're not standing together but what do you think of this this farewell uh i think it's pretty good um it it does what it's supposed to do which is basically be a merry christmas to the readers mm -hmm. it is you know as you mentioned with the cover this to me is a very busy panel you know there's the christmas trees and there's uh santa's village in the back and the sleigh is going over a bridge and that's where plaza is but he's so tiny that you really can't tell it's him except for the fact that his arm is stretching out spelling merry xmas and actually it wasn't in, i've read the story a few times and it wasn't until i was rereading it last night that i noticed that he's waving on, at the end of the xmas mm-hmm yeah, this, his little hand is because the hand is a sort of beige over an orange caption. So it right. makes kind of the hand disappear. Right. And the mayor, I thought, was Commissioner Gordon <laughs> because oh. he looks just like him. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, it's it's a classic Christmas scene and it, it is still snowing in Gotham. It does what it's advertised to do. It's wishing readers a Merry Christmas. You can tell from this that, you know, Batman showed up at this event because right. Plastic Man is there and, he, you know, he's not going, you know, he's not punching somebody out in, a, in an alley somewhere. He actually went to the <laughs> event that Plastic Man is sort of hosting because, like you said, they're friends. They're these unlikely friends. And no one is paying attention to Batman. They're all looking at the display going, ooh, beautiful. And then, you know, no one is paying any attention to this caped Avenger of the night. Broad daylight Batman. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> well, we'll take a break for a couple of promos, and then uh, we'll be back with our bonus team-ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics this spring, criminals are a cowardly lot, none more so than Matches O'Brien, who running from the Gotham PD, falls into a vat of chemicals. When he comes out, it is as the fearless, always smiling Avenger known only as the Plastic Bat. The resilient rubber Avenger bounces through the alleys of Gotham every night to help the authorities whether they like it or not. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eggman. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Ah... After a long day of criminal activity, there's nothing I like better than to sit down and listen to the old radio. 
Wait a minute, that's not a radio, it's Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Plastic Man! That's right, it's the Plastic Cast, a brand new podcast dedicated to Plastic Man. I'm your host, Max Romero. Together, we'll be talking about Plastic Man in the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and every other age you can think of, right up to his upcoming reappearance in DC Rebirth. We'll also be talking about any Plastic Man news that might be coming up, and his appearances in every media from comics to cartoons. Makes me woozy just to think about it. I hope you'll join me to talk about the longest arm of the law, here on the Plasticast, here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're back. Our final feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes a perfect Plastic Man team-up. Uh, well, Max, you're the expert, so I'll let you go first. You know, I thought about this, and it was actually uh, a little difficult, but once I thought of something, it really kind of clicked for me. One thing, a perfect Plastic Man team-up that I'd like to see is Plastic Man and the Legion of Superheroes. We've seen Plastic Man operating in the, in the 40s as an FBI Nazi buster. We've seen him as a swinging superhero in the 60s. We've seen him in the modern era. So why not do something that we haven't seen before and fling him into the future? Plastic Man is, for all intents and purposes, indestructible. And he doesn't seem to age normally. He, maybe he could be very, very long-lived, lost to history, until he shows up at Legion headquarters one day as a wise and experienced mentor coming in from the cold. Or maybe he's come to the future on a mission with uh, Superman, and either he gets stuck there or he decides to stay. Either way, I'd love to see the interaction be between Plastic Man and a bunch of mostly self-serious, super-powered kids. He could even go back to what he knows and act as the liaison between the science police and the Legion. In any case, you can't tell me that you wouldn't want to see Plaz giving tips to Chameleon Boy and Bouncing Boy. I think he'd be a great mentor to Bouncing Boy. I mean, that that seems <laughs> natural to me. And they're, you know, the, a similar kind of vibe there, more so than with Chameleon Boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would, I, I don't, I cannot think of a single story where I've seen Plastic Man in the future. And I, I think that would be, I think that would be interesting. You know, I can al already imagine sort of like the descendant of Woozy Winks. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Did Woozy ever have um, a significant other that he could have children with? <laughs> That's a disturbing way to put it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? I want to say no, but he has a sister who has a child. Okay, so the great, 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 great nephew of, uh, yeah, of Wizzy the, Wings. The Wings line, yes, the Wings line could carry on, theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how about you? What, who would you like to? Uh, I, I, I went crazy. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I put Plastic Man in with the wise guy. Yeah, I wanted to do something with the FBI connection. Uh, the X-Files seemed too obvious. So instead, I wanted to pay homage to a show that I really loved when I was young, and that still stands up today. I've seen I've seen uh, a few seasons since then, you know, over. And uh, if you've never seen Wise Guy, it's about an undercover agent who infiltrates organized crime. There was a perfect first season, uh, but he brings down the mob in that, uh, so they still managed to get four more seasons out of it somehow by having Vinny, the, the hero, use his position in the earlier mob to infiltrate other mobs. So obviously today, that one first season, you know, would be stretched out over years and years. Uh, but anyway, in my special team-up, Plastic Man is a super-secret FBI agent. He's sent to retrieve Vinny, Terranova, when things go wrong. There are so many supervillain mobs in the DCU, it'd just be fun to have Vinny join the Joker's gang or Cobra or Skull or whatever. <laughs> and really, whatever best suits Plastic Man so that it can be a Plastic Man story. 
Now, this will never be published. <laughs> I, I don't think there is a, uh, you know, a wise guy, you know, revival out there that would make this so. But that's what I came up with. Yeah, I like it. It's, um, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of times Plastic Man, his FBI connections are mentioned, but they're not necessarily played up. And so, yeah, it would be it would be kind of cool to see Plastic Man doing, you know, just kind of a straight ahead crime story. Because he's he's a good infiltrator, obviously he can, yeah. you know, transform so long as uh, nobody notices everything's uh, you know red, black, and, and flesh colored. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he yeah. Can, he can play in that that world, and we maybe we don't see it enough. Uh, so I went extreme, but obviously you could pick your <laughs> own DC universe crime character and, and and do that with him, you know, over there, human target or something, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I'm on board. Well, uh, thanks for teaming up with me, Max, on this Christmas day. Would you remind people where they can find you? Yeah, uh, and thanks for having me on. I, um, it, this is always a lot of fun, so I appreciate it. People can find me here on the Fire & Water Podcast Network, where I host Plasticast, uh, my Plastic Man podcast, and The Mirror Factory, which is my literary podcast. I can be found on Facebook and Twitter at Maxwell Romero. It's Plastic Man and Factory Mirror. And the Mirror Factory uh, recently got its own Goodreads page, so listeners can find me there, too. Awesome. A reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments and that the best place for uh, that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcast. In fact, Santa's delivered this year's mailbag, so I'll, I'll let Max go back to his family because it's Christmas Day after all. Yay. Yeah, we will take a small break, and I'll be back with a selected reading from your comments on the last year's worth of FW Team Up. Thanks again, Max. Thank you, Siskoid. <laughs> Hey there, welcome to the Mirror Factory. I'm the foreman, Max Romero, so let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. The Mirror Factory is a podcast where we talk about your favorite passages from novels, novellas, and short stories. Each episode features a different guest, who will tell us a little about the book their passage is from, and why it means so much to them. Then that guest will give us a special reading of their favorite passage for our listeners. If you think you'd like to be a guest on the Mirror Factory, drop us a line at Factory Mirror on Twitter, The Mirror Factory on Facebook, or at MirrorFactoryPodcast at gmail.com. The Mirror Factory is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Time to get back to work. Until next time, read a book. Since we put a comment section in last year's Xmas episode, let's make that an annual tradition. Obviously, this will be uh, just an abbreviated sampling of the comments we received, or we'd be here all day. So read the entire conversations at fireandwaterpodcast.com, where you'll also find images from today's featured comic. Okay, let's first go way back to the previous Christmas special, Superman and Santa Claus, with uh, my guest, Chris Franklin. We got comments from Rob Kelly, Chuck Coletta, Ido Bosnar, Tim Price, and Ward Hill Terry, who says, This was published sometime after I was compelled to buy every issue, and at a time when I dismissed stories with Santa and the Toy Man. College, man. Now that I know it's a Swanderson book, I need to have it. Great Krypton, but I love their work together. Don't beat yourself up, uh, Ward Hill Terry. I made the same decision at age 12. Next up was Batman and Captain America with Oh Hot More Nots, Amélie Montour. We got feedback from Chris Franklin, who reminds us that the Red Skull did have his dust of death in the 40s. 
Ange, Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Santarin, Ido Bosnar, Ward Hill Terry, Tim Price, Robert Ward, and Brian Linton, who had this fun team-up idea for Captain America. I'm going to go all Elseworlds on this one and suggest a team-up between Captain America and the Founding Fathers of America. A young colonist by the name of Steve Rogers takes part in a secret experiment conducted by Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson to create a super soldier. Serving under General Washington, the newly minted Captain America helps to turn the tide of the Revolutionary War. The story could even feature a special musical guest appearance by singing sensation Alexander Hamilton. I love it. Next was Spider-Man and Captain Britain with Martin Gray. Feedback from Chris, Tim, Rob, David Ace Gutierrez, Ward Hill Terry, Brian Linton, and Tim Price, who fills in some gaps for us. He says, Now I had to do my own digging because I could swear there was one other story that covered Pete and Brian. And finally, I found it in Excalibur number 53. Maybe you already know about it, but Wikipedia downplays Spider-Man's role in that issue. It's a flashback to this period, and Brian is doing what college kids do, drinking because he can. It goes badly when he hurts a woman badly, and Pete kicks him out saying, get help. The interesting twist on the story is that Brian thinks of Peter as the one that pushed him to be a better person and hero, not Spider-Man. This was published in 1992, so thanks, Tim. I wasn't reading Excalibur by that time, but I guess their roommate relationship was mentioned again. Then came The Thing and Quasar with Quantum Cast's Gene Hendricks. We got comments from Chris, Martin, Tim, Shag, Brian, and Rob Kelly, who remarks, As a supporter of Aquaman before it was cool, I appreciate Gene's fandom for such an obscure and somewhat derided character. Though who knows? At the rate the MCU is going, we might have a Quasar movie by 2020. Next up, Ryan Blake helped me cover that uh, Star Trek The Next Generation team up with Doctor Who. Comments came in from uh, Santarin, David Ace, Chris, who would have loved to see the third Doctor pit his Venusian Aikido against Shatner's Kirk Fu, uh, Brian Iced D, Chris Lewis, and Mark Baker Wright, who says, I think that fans must have thought through Doctor Who Star Trek mashups for decades, and I can only assume that the Borg were always considered a large enough threat to warrant such a mashup, as they were the antagonists in my own Doctor Who Star Trek fanfiction written many years ago. I won't link to it here, but anyone who's really interested can find it on my blog, he says. I even ended on a fairly similar cliffhanger. Tim Price also remembers that there was an unsanctioned parody independent single-issue comic featuring TOS, TNG, and The Doctor. My college roommate bought it at the time, and it was pretty dreadful. The premise was the two Enterprise saucers merged together with the TARDIS stuck in the middle, and no hilarity ensues. Does anybody else remember that one? It would have been uh, late 80s, early 90s. It doesn't ring any cloister bells for me. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Uh, we continue with Superman and the Masters of the Universe with Motucast's Dr. G, Man of Nerdology. The power of He-Man compelled the following people to write in. Chris, Ange, Tim, Rob, Gene, D, Earth 2, Gothos Mansion, Luke Giaconetti, Sphinx Magoo, and Simon, who tells us that as a fan of Sandman... West Dodds, this was an incredibly annoying issue to track down. Because of the Motu connection, it was consistently more expensive than any other DC Comics presents, but was also the issue with the Whatever Happened to Sandy the Golden Boy backup. Jose Rivera remembers uh, looking everywhere for it in the early 2000s, but his local store didn't have it, and the uh, prices on eBay were ridiculous, he says. I love 
He-Man and Superman, but 80 bucks was a little steep. Wow. Cut to a convention they had here in Manhattan every November called The National. It was similar to the monthly conventions that company ran at the time, but it was in a bigger space and had a few more vendors. I remember looking through the 50 cent bins and sure enough, I found this issue. I wasn't sure if the guy either didn't know what he had or didn't care. It was slapped together box with no particular organization, but I calmly brought this and a couple of other issues to the seller for a really good price. If you think I took it home and read it, you're damn right I did. I read this thing cover to cover and loved it. To this day, this might be uh, in my top five greatest convention finds. Next is Feathers and Foes Ashford Wright on an episode devoted to Batgirl and Catwoman. We got feedback from Martin, Gene, Michael Wagner, Brian Rosen, Gothos Mansion, and Chris Franklin, who reminds me that Val Luton, aka Kitten in that story, is obviously a tribute to RKO's premier horror film producer and a reference to Cat People. I should have caught that since I'm actually a big fan. Uh, He also says Ashford definitely deserves a nomination for the Howard Simpson Award for Most Enthusiastic Synopsis Reading by a Podcast Guest at the next Steam Awards. I can't disagree. Give him the steamer. Now, speaking of quality guests, on to Batman 66 meets the Real Avengers, Steve and Mrs. Peel, with Darren and Ruth Sutherland. Here we got comments from Chris, David Ace, Ange, Santarin, Tim, John Baker, Michael Lane, Paul Hicks, Mark Baker-Wright, and Gothos Mansion, who reveals that Mrs. Peel's dance was a bee dance, a bit of a wink and a nod to the harem dance she did in Honey for the Prince. I know the bees were included because Lord Fogg had African death bees on his estate, on the Batman episode. Thanks for that insight, GM. Up next, Eminem and Punisher with Ohad Mournat's Isabelle Gauguin. Not a lot of rap fans in the group, but we got feedback from Ange, Tim, Ward Hill Terry, Matt Sirwa, David Ace, and Chris Franklin, who had this story to share. Can't say I'm a fan of Eminem at all, but I enjoyed the discussion. I do recall a friend of mine getting tickets to a live taping of a WWE Raw wrestling show, and as we were walking out, some promotional types handed us tapes. Yes, tapes of a new rapper who I thought was literally calling himself M&M, like the candy. I thought the whole thing was ridiculous, and I think I threw the tape away. And a few months later, <laughs> well, next uh, was our Halloween episode. A Spider-Man and Frankenstein's monster with Corey Drew. We got mail from Rob, Gotham's Mansion, Tim, Martin, and again, Chris gets a standout comment. I definitely see some Chris Lee in Busima's rendition of the monster, but he's got Boris's son of Frankenstein fashion sense with that furry vest. Oh, and speaking of Boris, just to clarify, you're not really throwing off on him when you mock the stumbling, arms-outstretched Frankenstein cliché. You can blame that on Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, where Bella Lugosi was playing a blind monster, groping about to understand his surroundings. Unfortunately, the studio edited out all references of the monster's blindness. The cliché was born. And finally, our previous episode, Hawkman and Adam Strange, with guest host Scott X. The following people, Zeta Beam, their thoughts to my location. We got Ange, Chris, Luke, Martin, and Ryan Daly, who says, Hawkman, along with Hawkgirl, Hawkwoman, is one of my favorite DC heroes because he was one of the few superpowers action figures I had. I had that Hawkman too, Ryan. Uh, however, it's hard to be a fan of the character, and I struggle the most with reconciling the Qatar Hall stories There is an insurmountable incongruity with linking Hawkman to the space cosmic corner of the DC Universe. It just doesn't work in my mind. The Hawk is a terrestrial creature. It can fly, sure, but it can't survive in space. It's grounded in its uniqueness to our planet, as are Katar and Shaira's choice of weapons. 
Tell me again why a spiked mace and a net is better than a laser blaster for a space cop. And Hawkman's whole visual gimmick and power is his feathered wings. They don't work in the vacuum of space, so it's not like he can fly around the galaxy like Superman or a Green Lantern. And if the Hawks were have a spaceship, why do they need wings? I have as difficult a time thinking of Hawkman as a space hero like Adam Strange and Green Lantern as I do considering Adam Strange a classic Western hero like Batlash or Vigilante. Well, that's it for 2018. See you next year for more amazing superhero team-ups, because after all, justice is a team effort. The only reason you ever helped me is because you feel guilty. There are no happy endings to a life of crime, O'Brien. You made your choice.